from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. My name is Tony Sundermeyer, the senior pastor, and I want to thank you for watching today's broadcast. Now, I invite you to join in the worship of God. Please join me in what's labeled opening prayer and the call to worship as well. Loving God, we come this morning seeking to abide in your presence. Open our minds to the spirit of wisdom that we may know how to live as your people. Open our hearts to your spirit of faith that we may love all of your people with a love that speaks of justice, of kindness, and of radical grace. At this time of worship, be authentic and pleasing to you. Friends, let us stand in a body or in spirit and worship our God. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Please turn with me to page 816 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Hear what the Lord says. Rise. Plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been meticulously walking through the first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew since Epiphany Sunday in early January, tracing the steps of Jesus as he embarks on his mission and his ministry. And here we come to the most famous sermon that has ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin with the section that is entitled, The Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the most uh, transformative and meaningful experiences I've had in ministry came in the form of friendships that I made with refugees from Myanmar, the country formerly known as Burma. The church uh, Katie and I were serving at the time was in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and that congregation had a robust uh, refugee resettlement ministry. In the five years that we were there, the church helped welcome and settle close to 100 people from the Chin community. Today, over 50,000 Chin call the United States home. And the Chin people are an ethno-linguistic minority from Myanmar. They are predominantly Christian and have experienced intense persecution over the last several years. Arbitrary arrests, lawless detention, religious oppression, and summary execution mark the life experience of so many Chin people. More than half of the people that that church helped resettle were children under the age of 12. And many of those children, along with their parents, were dealing with some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. And in that time, in those five years, I learned their stories. I, I developed friendships through our new members class and through a Sunday afternoon worship experience that was in the Chin language that was launched by those first refugees who made their way to that particular congregation. I learned uh, in that time about determination. I learned about perseverance as... Uh, these adults would take 60-hour-a-week, 70-hour-a-week jobs in warehouses or in construction, in factories or on farms to provide a better life for their children. I, I learned in those five years from those friendships what true sacrificial giving looks like as it was standard and as it was expected of them as part of their Christian experience to tithe 10% of what they made to the church. And that was just the start. 
I learned about hospitality as they would welcome me and, and my family and so many others. And as we entered the threshold of their homes, we'd be treated as if we were royalty. And I learned through those friendships about hardships connected to faith, about what it means to have an experience of one I have no clue what it's like to be persecuted because you're a Christian, to be put out on the margins, to face the daily onslaught of exclusion in your native country. In short, I think what I learned was what the Beatitudes were all about. I think I learned the essence of, of Jesus' teaching, or at least I started to learn what Jesus was getting at in this Sermon on the Mount as he opened it up with these eight Beatitudes. I remember uh, the lay pastor that we ordained as a church who led that fellowship and led that worshiping community his name is Van A, and he, he once pulled me aside and, and really out of nowhere said, our people love this church because they see us. We love this church because it sees us. This church listens to us. This church honors us. He said, we are not invisible here, nor are we expendable. And what I learned from that particular conversation is that there is a real transformative power in seeing others. There's real transformative power in hearing someone's story. When you really pay attention, when you, when you notice someone, when you incline your ear to them without fear, without judgment, without blame, without the need that so many Christians and so many of us helpers in the room feel compelled to fix something. When you show up in that space just to be present and listen with empathy and compassion, friends, I want to tell you, dignity is realized. Dignity is actualized in the moment, both within the storyteller and within the listener. Honor emerges. There is power, friends, in seeing. There is power in listening. And that power changes us. It changes us. It opens us up to our own vulnerabilities. It opens us up to our own sense of honor and our own sense of shame. It opens us up to our stories of hardship and triumph. And what it does is it creates things that we value here at First Presbyterian Church. It creates authentic community. And it creates mutual care for one another. And that's precisely why as a church we've invested in Stephen ministry where Christian caregivers are trained to walk and to listen and to pray with those in the midst of a transition or in the midst of a, of a difficult circumstance. And that, that's why we have in this church a cohort, a small group of people organized as a dream group. They see the interpretations of their dreams. I mean, their literal dreams when they're sleeping at night as a spiritual discipline as a way to be in community with one another and as a way to possibly discern what the Spirit may be saying to them through their subconscious, through their dreams. That's why we launched our Dinner and Dialogue series this past fall. 
as we listen to people, as we listen to one another, share their experiences of what it means to be black in America and what it means to be white in America and what it means to be called Americans and what does it mean even above that to be called Christians. As we seek reconciliation in the life of the church, as we seek authentic diversity in the life of the church, as we seek mutual understanding and healing, not just in the life of the church, but beyond. That's why we invest in our children's ministry and our our youth ministry, because we want every child to know that we see them, that they have a voice, that they have gifts, that they are loved, that they have a story to tell, and that God's given them gifts to bless the world. And that's why, friends, we're so committed to building relationships, not just programs. Programs come and go. Churches, especially churches like ours, are experts in creating programs. We're good at programs. We want to keep doing programs. But what we really want to focus on are relationships. Because relationships are always going to be valued above programs. And that's why we have men's and and, and women's groups. And that's why we're building relationships with the poor and the vulnerable in our city. Those who are experiencing homelessness. So they know that we see them. That we hear them. That we actually honor their existence on the planet. That we value them. That we value their story. Friends, there is real power Real power that comes when someone is seen and when someone is heard. There's power when our existence is affirmed and our value identified. There is power when we discover that we're not invisible and that we're not expendable. Now in the time of Jesus when he was preaching this most famous sermon, uh, the social strata and communities were were much more uh, easily divided. I mean, you think about division in our time and in our experiences living in the 21st century. The division in Jesus' time was very clear. There were, there were really just two groups. There was the powerful and the powerless. There were the honored and the shamed. There were the people who were seen and the people who were unseen. There was no middle ground the way that we can appreciate middle ground today. There was no what we, would, might, we might call, uh, in our experience, shared power or shared governance, what we experience today. There was nothing like that. It was easily di- divided between the haves and the have-nots. And this is important to note uh, because right at the outset of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus' eight Beatitudes, we quickly recognize that he's about to engage the honor and shame system of the day. He's about to engage the milieu in which these people were living. He was about to reimagine and to reshape who it is that God actually honors and who it is God actually sees. Uh, during my sabbatical last summer, uh, sabbatical which I continue to be grateful to this congregation for allowing me uh, to engage it, during the sabbatical, I had a chance to visit the, the Holy Land, and one of the most memorable sites that I, I visited was the Mount of the Beatitudes. It's a place that is celebrated 
as the actual location where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, located on the, the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, not too far from Capernaum. Uh, the, the vistas and the views on these hills and these quote-unquote mountains is absolutely spectacular. It's one of the most beautiful places I have ever been. There's a neo-Byzantine church on the mount, and its architecture and its design reflects the words that Jesus spoke on that mountain over 2,000 years ago. Its shape is actually octagonal. So it has eight sides to this church, and those eight sides represent the eight Beatitudes that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. The church, and this is a sermon in and of itself, the church physically embodies Jesus' teachings. Physically embodies them. The church also has an exterior cloister. You've seen a lot of churches that have interior cloisters within a garden or inside the, the perimeter, the inside perimeter of the church. Well, this church has cloisters on the, ex, on the outside, wrapping full 360 degrees around the exterior. So a pilgrim who's walking can literally, I mean literally see every square inch of land Jesus put his feet on. You can see all of it. But I think one of the most remarkable features of this particular spot uh, is the fact that this mountain, quote unquote, is actually at negative altitude. It's at negative altitude. It's 25 meters below sea level, even as it's 200 meters above the Sea of Galilee. What that means is that the mount from which Jesus taught and preached is one of the lowest summits in the world. Think about that. It's one of the lowest summits in the world. And so I want you to keep that in mind because it's widely believed that those who gathered on the mount to meet and hear Jesus on that day or on a series of days when he was preaching, the people that met to hear him were of deprived status, means, and estate peasants and farmers and fishermen and foreigners, those on the margins of society, many of them natives to a land that was now occupied by a foreign empire, by Rome, living daily under their occupation and under their persecution. They were people with very little honor and very little esteem. And so the physical location, 25 meters below sea level, mirrors the status of the people themselves. Lowly, lowly. They were invisible, they were unheard, they, they were powerless, they were shamed. And yet it's here on this mountaintop on this high place that they gather to hear Jesus teach about who and what God honors, about who and what God elevates, about who and what God raises up. Friends, please understand that the Beatitudes are not a code of moral conduct. The Beatitudes are not delivered in the imperative. Did you notice that? It doesn't say, be merciful, or be meek, or be persecuted. No, it, it, it rather is, is delivered in the indicative mood. And I want to continue a theme that I brought up from last week when I said that the gospel is good news, not good advice. 
It's good news, not good advice. Friends, the Beatitudes are news. They are not advice. They're not a recommendation. Jesus speaks in the indicative mood. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Friends, it's a fact. It's news. It's something that has already happened and something that continues to happen. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted for Christ's sake are blessed. Period. Period. The Beatitudes are not advice. They're, They're a newsflash about who God is. They're a newsflash about whom God sees and whom God honors. You know, it's interesting, this Greek word that we translate to the word blessed is one of my favorite words in Greek in the New Testament, makarios. And and perhaps you've seen in other English translations, it translated to a word like happy. Happy are the meek or happy are the persecuted. It's a little unsettling, actually, as we understand what the word happy means. And so our translation uses the word blessed. That's a little more palpable. But actually, I think there's a better way to interpret it. And I'm leaning into the work of Dr. Margaret Eimer, a New Testament scholar, that says that this word is best translated with two words, greatly honored. Greatly honored. And I would add the word seen. Because in order to honor someone, you have to see them. In order to honor someone, you have to notice, to see their worthiness of why it is in the first place that you would honor them. And so, in other words, I think we could translate the Beatitudes like this. Seen and greatly honored by God are the poor in spirit. Seen and greatly honored by God are the meek. Seen and greatly honored by God are the pure in heart. Seen and greatly honored by God are those persecuted for righteousness. So what's happening in in the Beatitudes is that Jesus is flipping the script. He's recasting who it is that is due honor, who it is that is seen. He's bringing news about those whom God holds in the highest regard, in the highest esteem. And this news, friends, for that time, this cannot be missed by us, would have been downright shocking. Because in some first century circles, right, what was considered honorable in that time, was to actually be a violent zealot against Rome. That was what was honorable, to persecute enemy occupiers, to take revenge on those who deserve it. That was honorable. But Jesus says, no, that God sees and honors peacemakers and the merciful, those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the first century, friends, in some circles, what was considered honorable was the actual quest for honor, the striving for status, the striving for power, the hunger for religious perfection. But Jesus says that God sees and honors the poor in spirit, the meek, the pure in heart, and those who hunger after the good. In some first century circles, Those who were considered honorable were those who had land, who had a family, who had a family name, who had a status in the community. But Jesus says that God sees and honors those who have lost everything or have never had it to begin with. Those who mourn and grieve that which is missing. 
Friends, this was good news for those who gathered on that day to hear this most famous sermon. And friends, I believe and I'd like to suggest to you that it's good news for us. Because I realize that some of us are poor in spirit in these days. I realize that some of us are spiritually impoverished, spiritually bankrupt, that we're doubting more than we're believing in these hours. Friends, God sees you and God honors you. If you're mourning, if your grief is too heavy to bear in these days, if you're staring your own mortality in the face, if you're keenly aware of your loss and all the losses you have or that which you've never had to begin with, friends, God sees you and God honors you. If you're meek, if, if you feel invisible in these days, if you feel expendable, God sees you and God honors you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you can't get past how messed up you think the world is and, and you're not sure when things are going to turn in the right way, God sees you and God honors you. If you're, if you're merciful, if you're forsaking revenge, if you're seeking forgiveness, God sees you and God honors you. If you're pure in heart, if you're hoping against all hope, God sees you and God honors you. If you're a peacemaker working toward reconciliation, unity and collective cohesion in your family, in your relationships in this city and beyond, friends, God sees you and God honors you. And if, if you're persecuted for your faith, if you're left out or left behind because you've set your eyes upon Jesus and you're humbly seeking to follow him in the world, God sees you and God honors you. This is good news for all people. This is power. This is the way of God. And friends, these are the Beatitudes. Amen. Friends, each and every week as we come to this time of charge and a benediction, the charge is the encouragement of what to receive, of, of who to be, of how to show up in the world as a follower of Christ and as a friend of God. The benediction is, is the good word that comes from God. Uh, today's charge is not to go out and to do the Beatitudes. That's not what they're there for. Today's charge is to see the way God sees. To notice what God notices. To elevate and honor those whom God elevates and honors. And the good word is that God's grace is sufficient for us to see and for us to receive and for us to bless. And so go now in the peace of that same God, a peace which surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds. May it live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen. Amen. Friends, go in peace.
thank you for watching today's broadcast. For more video content, I'd encourage you to visit our website, firstpressatl.org. We'd love to see you here sometime at the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street to join us for worship. Thanks again for watching.